How y'all doing? Good, good, good. Y'all been having a good time so far? Awesome, awesome. Once again, my name is Rennie Kern. I'm a former professional athlete, played at the University of Georgia, the Titans, the, the Buccaneers up in Canada. I'm author and then also the CEO of Game Changer Coaching. So I work with athletes, I work with business executives, helping them to improve their leadership, their life and their brand as well. So I'm glad to be here with my man, Mr. Dwight Hicks, the legend. So yes, we are gonna give him a round of applause again. And I, I love what you guys were just doing uh, because that's uh, where it starts is relationships and networking and the skill that you guys just did right there that you just worked on is what's gonna really help propel you. And that's one of the things that we're gonna be talking about today. So I wanna get, just jump right in uh, to get, getting to know just about your career. You know, you did so many amazing things. You were a pro bowler. I mean, we, we spent some time talking and uh, can you just share just about your career for the audience here, the highs and the lows okay. of your career? All right, uh, I, um, I'm from a little town in New Jersey, South Jersey. Uh, called Pensauk in New Jersey. It's uh, right across the bridge from Philadelphia. A lot of great athletes have come from that uh, South Jersey, Delaware Valley area, and I happen to be one of them. But uh, I wasn't, I don't consider myself one of the best athletes that have come out of that region. Uh, I think there are a lot of people that had more talent than I had, but it takes more than talent. It takes a mindset and what you're committed to. And uh, I was an all-star on every level, uh, high school, Pop Warner, high school, college. I went to the University of Michigan, go Wolverines. I know GA put the number on them, but they'll be back. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, so uh, I just, you know, wanted to go to University of Michigan because uh, they went to the Rose Bowl, and I always wanted to play in the Rose Bowl. And uh, I was able to play in the Rose Bowl. And, uh, but it, it seems once you get there, it doesn't automatically turn out the way that you intend it to be at, at times in life. And I feel that you youngsters have to understand that uh, because you're going to have some hardships, you're going to have some adversity, but just because you have that doesn't mean that you dwell on it. You work harder. And um, I know coming out of the University of Michigan, I was projected to be a number one draft choice. And going into my senior year in all the sports magazines, you know, I was all-American, this and that. And uh, when I get back to school, <laughs> they changed my position from free safety, which was my natural position, to strong safety. And it took me like four games to where I was really comfortable in that. But um, as it turned out, instead of being a first-round draft choice, I didn't go until the sixth. And I was pretty heartbroken. Uh, I, I felt uh, cheated, but um, it was because my coach, uh, Bo Schembechler, who passed, was a hard guy. And he wanted me to grow up to be the kind of guy that he thought I should be. 
and I had a good upbringing, a good foundation for my mother. Uh, my father died when I was 11, so I had to learn how to be a man on my own. But my mother gave me a great foundation of believing in myself and sticking up for myself. Because if you don't stick up for yourself, who's going to stick up for you? So because I had that mindset, uh, I, for some reason, uh, rubbed Bo Schembeck the wrong way. Because he wanted me to be a certain guy. And here I was this other guy. And, uh, and I knew that I was okay. Uh, the team picks captains. They picked me captain. That shows something about who I was as a person. Uh, but anyway, so I get drafted in the sixth round by Detroit. Um, the coach there, uh, the, my position coach there, for some reason did not like me either. Maybe he wanted to draft somebody else. I don't know. Uh, he never let me play my position. I played corners, both corners, strong safety. He never let me play free safety. And um, I didn't know why. But anyway, I tell you this to say this. Even though this guy didn't give me the time of day, I would always be attentive and I would listen. Because you know, never know where information is going to come from. It might come from someone that you like and you really uh, have a good relationship with. And it might come from somewhere you never thought that you would get this information from. And this coach, my position coach, said something one night in, when we were in a, a meeting. And he said, now that you guys are pros, he said, remember, when you go out on that field, autograph your performance. And that, like, wow, autograph your performance. I like that. Now, had I not, uh, because this guy wasn't treating me fairly, had I not just turned, if had I just turned him off, I would have never got that nugget. And that was so profound to me. And so I wrote it down, and I always said, whenever you go out on the field, whenever you're out in practice, autograph your performance. It's like, yeah, that's who I am. Or that's my job, this is what I do. Yeah, that's me. Uh, but anyway, I was cut from Detroit. And then um, I went up in Canada and played for a few games and uh, hurt my ankle. Always wanted to play in the NFL. Came back down, uh, signed with the Philadelphia Eagles because now I could go home and play. And it looked like they were going somewhere. And matter of fact, they did go to the Super Bowl that year. But anyway, I always, as far as setting goals, I always put down as a pro, I want to be all pro to help my team win a Super Bowl. Uh, well, Detroit still has never been to a Super Bowl. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, um, I was there, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll um, coattail on what Paul said. There are a lot of haters out there. So uh, this guy that saw me in high school, he says, uh, that I went to high school with, he says, Dwight, yeah, I, I heard you're trying out for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I said, yeah. He said, did you get cut yet? Oh. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm still there. So anyway, 
camp proceeds. Uh, we break camp. I'm on the team. A lot of the veterans knew that I was from uh, South Jersey, uh, and they were cheering for me, congratulated me. Well, the next day, I get a call saying, Dwight, you know, uh, Coach Vermeer wants to see you bring your playbook. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was over. Yep. I knew it was over. It so- felt like somebody ripped my heart out of my chest. And I'm out there, and I'm, they had this, uh, they didn't let me fr- play free safety, but I was playing strong safety. I'm beating out their strong safety that just had come from a Pro Bowl. And it was so bad, they moved me to free safety because it was making him look bad. And that's where I wanted to be anyway. But it didn't happen. And I I believe that the reason why it didn't happen is because I had written down some things that I wanted to do. Being all pro helped my team win a Super Bowl. I didn't do that in Detroit because I was released. I didn't do that in Philly because I was released. Midway through that season, I go to the worst team in the league. And all I wanted was an opportunity to play. Uh, A year and a half later, I'm all pro, playing in my first Super Bowl. And that is because it was hard work. I believed in myself. I was prepared because sometimes things don't happen the way you want because it's another door or another opportunity is opening somewhere else. And you may not see that. You may be going through a lot of adversity and think, why is this happening to me? Because I know that's what I was saying. But the fact of the matter was, that wasn't where my journey was supposed to be. My journey was in San Francisco, and it was the worst team in the league, and a year and a half later, I'm realizing my dreams. So you all remember that. It's powerful, powerful. Give me a round of applause for that. Thank you so much. Um, Wow. I heard so many different nuggets that you dropped, man. Like, you know, one thing we all know as athletes is it does take that mindset. And for so many of us, we worked so hard for so many years, and we had that mindset, and then all of a sudden, we, like you said, we meet that coach that we don't get along with, or there's a coaching staff change, or just so many different things happen that I'm sure you all can have experienced at some point in your career. If you, if you haven't yet, and you're trying to go pro, trust me, <laughs> it's gonna happen at some point. At some point, you're gonna get that call, you know, where they're saying, bring your playbook, or, or turn, you know, your time is done here. And it's regardless of how well you perform at times. So, Thank you so much for just that transparency and for keeping it real. Absolutely. Now, at the same time, you know, as you're on the field battling things out, <laughs> you played in the 80s when there were so many different things happening in society, man. So can you just talk about, you know, being an athlete during that time when there's mass incarceration, there's a uh, crack and, and just, you know, so many things going on in society that were, were very challenging at that time, racism yeah. and, and different things like that. Oh, uh, well, we're still going through it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, but uh, my mother always told me to uh, try to be a good example for not only myself, but the family and the community. And yes, there, are, there were a lot of uh, things happening in San Francisco and in the United States. Uh, I was so focused on what I was doing that 
I was kind of distant from that. But now, as your life progresses, you get older, you start paying attention. I know I did to some of the things that are happening around you and outside of your sport. And uh, presently, I'm working with a group called Persevere. And what they do is they uh, train inmates to write um, code for computers and then place them in jobs. But, um, and I really wanted to do that because my sister was incarcerated for most, she is in and out, most of her, her adult life, and she uh, was uh, into drugs because my father died when I was 11. She couldn't take it, uh, ran away from home, and sort of lived out in the streets and um, was a, a heroin addict. Um, but before she died, uh, she did kick the habit, um, and she devoted herself to helping other people. And uh, when I got the opportunity to work with this group, I'm like, yeah, that's important to me because uh, I have experienced my sister was uh, in and out of uh, correctional facilities and I wanted to be part of that uh, part of uh, the, the, the rehabilitation uh, to help change lives. Because I think that's really why we're on the planet. Uh, it's not just to play sports, trust me. It's not just to play sports. Sports is a means to an end, it's something that you do. Sports should not define who you are. And if you think sports defined who you are, you really don't know who you are. So I would challenge all of you. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a real religious person, I'm more of a spiritual person. But there's something in the Bible that is so profound, and you guys should really try to understand that. And it's be still and know that I am. Now, who is that I am? A lot of people think it's God, Jesus Christ. I think it's you. It's you. The signs of God are the signs of you. So be still. You know, there's, you know, you could party and have a good time, this and that, but at the end of the day, you have to know who you are and what you want to do with your life. Sports will just be a means to an end, but relationships and people, we're, that, that's who we are. We're spiritual beings connect, trying to connect with each other, and a lot of people think that we're separate from that. But no, I look at you, young man, and you are me. I look at you, young lady, and you are me. And that's my philosophy. It doesn't have to be yours, but that is my truth. And when I see people, I see my brothers and sisters, no matter what color, no matter what religion, when I look out and I see people, I see myself. And I would never try to do anything that was against me or hurt myself, so why would I reach out and try to hurt you? What I'm going to do for you is treat you as you are me. I give my best to you. And that is something that is very simple, but as you look around the world, you see it is not practice. So I would challenge you all to really 
try to understand that concept. Love it, love it. Thanks so much for sharing that. Yes, that was powerful. Yeah, so you, you shared so many amazing things just about, uh, one thing that stuck out to me was how you were so locked in. You know, for us, us as athletes, we get so locked in on our career and mm -hmm. progressing, and then all of a sudden we realize there's other things to life. And, um, you know, that really got me thinking about just what your transition was like. We, we had a great conversation yeah. about that, man. This man has a crazy <laughs> story just in terms of his transition. I mean, you've been in so many movies now. You're what so many people would consider a success as an actor. You've been in, I mean, I remember watching Armageddon. I love that, that movie. Um, X-Files, I mean, The Rock, I mean, just so many movies. But it started with that transition, man. So yes. can you just uh, tell everybody just about that transition and what you learned uh, how you prepare for your transition and things like that? Well, I think that uh, for the most part, uh, when you work hard at something, you, when you have a great work ethic, uh, and I had that preparing myself to play football, and I feel that has helped me in my whole life. Um, because you never know when opportunities are going to come, but when you prepare yourself and you're good to yourself, you're kind to yourself, you're kind to others. Um, opportunities will be there. But we're so consumed with other things that are happening around us. That's why I said be still and know who you are. When you do that, you will start to see other opportunities just come to you. And if you're all over the place, if you're... Avoiding yourself, it could be right in front of you and you'll never see it. So uh, when I finished playing, I wasn't ready to, to stop playing. I, I played eight and a half years and I could have easily played, you know, 12, 13 years. What it would have done to my brain, I don't know. But anyway, um, things happen for a reason. Uh, and um, I sat out a game during the season, which no one had done before me and no one has done after me. But here was the situation. I was promised a new contract if I did X, Y, and Z. I did X, Y, and Z, and all of a sudden, uh, they tell me that you know, you're still under contract. I said, but you know, I didn't get it in writing. I saw my coach every day, who was also the GM, and I thought, you know, okay, um, I like that because I have to earn it. Because I was an anomaly. I was cut twice before I made it with the NFL team. And when you are cut twice, you go in as a free agent, not like it is today. Uh, you have to start from scratch. So I got the lowest contract uh, coming out, coming to the 49ers. Uh, my contract was like $32,000. And uh, that's per diem for some of these guys. Right now. But anyway, uh, <laughs> and it's not about the money. It is and it isn't. But anyway, um, and because I came midway through that season, uh, it was $16,000. That's tough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I... Uh, I tried to call my agent, the, the guy who I thought was my agent at the time. I said, look, I'm, I'm trying out for the 49ers. Please call him back. He was in New York. 
uh, I need you to negotiate this contract for me. Well, um, I didn't get a return call. So I'm in the room uh, the night before I, with this contract, uh, trying to make sense of it, a lot of legalese. And uh, I just said, uh, this is an opportunity. I read through it as much as I could, decipher it as much as I could. And I went in and I told the guy who was the assistant GM, I looked at him right in the eye. And I said, sir, I'm going to sign this contract because you're giving me an opportunity to play. I said, but as soon as I show you that I'm a quality player, I'm going to expect quality pay. And he probably looked at me, yeah, kid, what the, whatever, hell, just sign a contract. And I did. Well, a year and a half later, I'm all pro, making a big play in the Super Bowl to start the 49er dynasty. And that next year, they signed uh, somebody named Ronaldo Nehemiah, who was a track star, a hurdler, world-class hurdler. And here I'm all pro. They gave him more money they gave me. And so I went back up there and, you know, had this discussion with him. And, and uh, anyway, I then see the head coach and he says, well, well Dwight, we're going to bring your contract up to speed and this and that. You're one of the guys you're looking at. And how about if we, you know, give you this amount of money? And I looked at him. I'm, I'm like 24, 5, 25. <laughs> And I, I just looked him right in the face and I said, that ain't enough. He did not expect that. But I, like I said, I had a great foundation from my mom and she said, always stick up for yourself. I knew my worth. And I told him, no, it's not enough. And he starts stuttering and, well, you know, any other job, uh, somebody would, you know, really take this. I'm like, yeah, but this isn't any other job. This is professional football. I'm an all-pro, and I expect to be paid like one. And so he said, okay, if you do X, Y, Z, we'll rip it up and redo your contract. Well, I did it. And still, they told me you're on the contract. Anyway, because I sat out uh, uh, a game the following year, because I did everything I could do to show them that I was worthy of this. I had done enough, but I went above and beyond what I could do. I was named captain uh, by the players. Um, I was an inspiration to the players. As the players were an inspiration, my teammates were inspiring me as well. But anyway, to make a long story short, when I sat out that game, from that point on, I was being ushered out of the league. Two years later, I couldn't get a contract. No one would sign me. Uh, but that's how the NFL works. Their uh, owners are like a fraternity. Uh, that's why it's so hard for new owners to get in. Uh, they keep the game just the way they want. And it's unfortunate that the NFL is just so reactive instead of being proactive to make the game better. But that's how they are. But anyway, so I, uh, my career was curtailed. I wanted to coach. Uh, that didn't happen. I didn't know what I was going to do after I, I finished playing. Uh, but anyway, um, sports writers had always come up to me because, 
you know, I was never at a loss for words. And uh, I would tell them, you know, they would run up to you right after a game, put a mic in your face, and, you know, I just came off the field. So remember this, too, for you, you uh, ladies and, and gentlemen, young ladies and young gentlemen, that just because somebody puts a mic in front of your face doesn't mean you have to talk. Okay? And I would tell them, let me take a shower, get my thoughts together, and I'll give you an interview. So remember that, too. Just because somebody does this doesn't mean you have to talk. If you're not ready to talk, if you don't have your thoughts together, say, yeah, uh, let me think about that, and you know, I'll, I'll get back with you. So anyway, um, I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, but because I was always made myself available to the media, uh, Fox, six years later, Fox got the NFL. And uh, uh, an anchor, their sports anchor, came up to me and said, Dwight, we just got uh, the NFL, and we're going to do this post-game show. Uh, would you like to be a part of that? I'm like, yeah, love to. And so I did that for three years. So that's what started uh, me doing something else other than football. And then uh, <clears throat> I started getting a little bit of momentum in my life. And somebody said to me, eh, Dwight, you know, you're not a bad-looking guy. You ever thought about acting? I'm like, what? No. And so, well, you, you should think about it. And so uh, I said, okay. I thought about it, called an agency up in San Francisco, told them I'd like to go out for commercials, things like that. Uh, and I said, and if any movies come in town, I'd be glad to audition for them. And they said, oh, you're an actor. And I'm like, no. I said, well, you, you, you've done uh, you know, plays or community theater? No. I said, don't take this wrong. I just feel that I have the confidence to do it. And uh, three weeks later, three weeks, uh, The Rock, came, or Jack was in town with Robin Williams and Fran Dresser and uh, Diana Lane. And they said, uh, yeah, well, you know, there's a Francis Ford Coppola film in town, and would you like to audition? And I swallowed very hard. And I'm like, okay, because <laughs> this guy is a premier director, a world-renowned director. And I said, okay. And I did, and I got the part. Uh, my speaking role was cut. I was telling everybody I was going to be in this film. And then, all of a sudden, I go to movie theater, and no me. I'm like, damn. <laughs> so the second film I was in, uh, and I was telling Ray this, was called The Rock with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. Good movie. I didn't yeah. watch it. And um, so I was only supposed to work one day. And um, one day, the first day, we didn't get to the part. So I had to come back the second day. Second day, fog rolled in on Alcatraz. We couldn't shoot. Uh, and I'm like, geez, yeah, I'm, I'm antsy. I, I want to uh, be part of this process. I am, but, you know, we haven't gotten to my part yet. Well, um, I didn't get a call for another two weeks. And then finally I got a call. Hi, Dwight. This is Darren, a second AD from The Rock. And uh, you have a call time at the Fairmont Hotel at 530 in the morning. And oh, oh yeah, by the way, uh, we upgraded your role. Now you're FBI agent star. I was FBI agent number one. Now you, I have a name. I'm like, wow, okay, this is good. So anyway, I was supposed to work four days 
And uh, the third day, uh, Michael Bay, the director, comes up to me and he says, uh, did you know that you were going to go to L.A. to finish this scene? And I'm like, no. He says, now you know. And he walked away. And I'm like, okay. But now, I was only supposed to work one day. One day. Didn't work the first day. Fog rolled in on the Alcatraz. And I'm like, you know, thinking that something bad might happen. Maybe they don't want me anymore. But because of they dropped me twice, they had to pay me from the first time I got on set to the last time I was on set and every day in between. So they had to pay me for like a month. And uh, here I was thinking that, you know, all this is happening because I'm not going to be in the movie. But anyway, I never told anybody. And then uh, somebody comes up and says, uh, Dwight, man, I was just at the movie theater and I saw you in the trailer of this movie coming out. I'm like, how come you didn't tell me? I said, I learned to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> but anyway, that turned out to be a great experience. But also, um, that's when I really knew. I watched Sean Connery and, and uh, William Forsythe do a scene uh, when they got Sean Connery to help them with their situation. And I was watching on a monitor. And because I was watching on a monitor, I was on set. I could have been back in my trailer just doing nothing. But I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn. So I was looking how they were setting up the lighting, like this lighting, there's sound to this. There's a lot of moving parts that go on to making a film. And I wanted to learn all of it. I, want, I was just absorbing it all. And because I was on set and I'm watching this monitor, Michael Bay goes in to give uh, the actors some direction. And he comes out and he says, oh, I got to do everything. Then he says, oh, Dwight, I want you in the scene. Get in there. I'm like, just get in there. So I got more camera time. I got more stuff to say. And um, it turned out to be a very wonderful experience. And that's when I said, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. So I started going to scene study classes. I started doing theater. And here I am over 25 years later. And I was going to say, too, that that check looked a little, a little bit nicer than your contract. Yeah. The NFL, that, right? uh, <laughs> yeah. From that month. A, a SAG was better than the NFL. All right. <laughs> and that's, that's uh, I mean, thank you so much yeah. for sharing that story. Yeah. Isn't that powerful, y'all? Like, yeah. I mean, wow. Yeah. And I'm, I'm yeah. so... I'm so glad we, we ran out of time. I wish we had like 10 yeah. more minutes, but I'm so glad you shared that story because yeah. for so many of us as athletes, when we take that jersey off, we feel like there's nothing else after that. And I'm here to tell you guys from both our experiences that where you are now is just the beginning. So whether you make it pro, whether you become pro bowl or not, like, man, there's so much opportunity out here. And like you did, man, you, you showed up and you took initiative. Like you weren't just there, right? You were trying to learn. You were trying to gain knowledge. And that was, that's such a powerful nugget right there. If you guys can take that mentality into whatever you do, being at this conference right now, you're around people that can literally change your life. All it takes is one relationship. But you have to be willing to take initiative. You can't be on your phone. You can't be you know, locked, so locked in on what's going on right now that you forget that there's opportunities all around all you. Around. So all really, really listen to this. And I'm so glad that we got to meet, man, because 
for me and my transition, this is how it started, was just sitting with guys like yourself mm. who are 20 years, 30 years older and just listening and gaining that knowledge. So if you guys just, just you know, meet with somebody that's a Dwight, if you want to get into acting, if you want to get into the IT or tech space, you want to get into uh, sports marketing, meet with somebody who's older, who's successful, and just gain that knowledge, man. So thank you so much You're very welcome. for everything. Yeah, you sure. Do you, you have one last lesson that you want to share quickly? Got seven seconds left. Okay. <laughs> Believe in yourself. Don't let anyone tell you who you are. Find out who you are by being alone, meditating, putting out verbally what you want with your life. Write it down somewhere where you see it every day and then act on it. Act on it. Somebody told me one time, uh, Dwight, if you change and do put 2% more effort into your life, It'll change your perspective and what happens to you 98%. I'm like, how did you get that math? <laughs> math ain't math. And he said, because most people do nothing. And that why, that's why it transitions to 98%. Most people do nothing. Live your dreams. It's all on you. Yes, love it. Great job. All right. Thank you all so much. And uh, once again, yes. I want, let, it, let everybody know, too, how they can get in touch with you and uh, follow you and everything. Uh, I have a website uh, called www.dwighthicks22.com. Uh, you can reach me. I think there's numbers on there where you can reach out to me or reach my agent. Um, and if any of you want to talk or, or um, connect, or we can connect out here. I'll be here for a little bit. And uh, you just want to have a conversation. There's used to be six degrees of separation. Remember that movie Will Smith did uh, not too long? Uh, a while ago. Well, it's, it's been a while ago. It's more, it's less than, it's less than six degrees right now. It's maybe one or two. That means two people that you might meet and you're connected to just about everybody in the United States. Two degrees, maybe, maybe one. But it's up to you. That's why relationships are so important. You never know who you're talking to. So always put your best self forward and be willing to learn and work hard. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.